remain standing for prayer. Heavenly Father, the world is yours and everything in it. All of its people are in your hands. Not one of us knows the day or the hour of your return. So Lord, let us always be prepared in these last days to meet you face to face. We are ready to listen here today. And we're asking you to speak through your word. Reveal yourself and your intentions for our lives. Illuminate your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We're in the third week of our series on the book of Revelation that we're calling Famous Last Words. God gave the Apostle John a message to share to seven churches of Asia Minor. They were the seven major churches just uh, on the shoreway, not too far away from where he was being held captive, where he was in exile on the island of Patmos. Now, he gave the message to them, but he preserved that message for us so that we can understand a little more about who Jesus is and his majesty and a little more about what's coming for God's creation. Uh, Revelation is, is a highly symbolic book. You probably noticed that, that, that not everything seems to be, you know, it, it, often there are things that represent other things as you go along. A person or an event might be represented by an object or some unusual part of the vision. Uh, and that's why there's so many different interpretations of the book. Uh, people look at those things and they try to interpret them in a whole lot of different ways. But we're not trying to understand every detail as we go through in this study. What we're looking for is the big picture and the main message. As we uh, saw last week, the main part of John's vision starts in the throne room of heaven. And can you help me here? It's uh, not going anywhere. Thanks. Uh, it starts in the throne room of heaven, and that's why, that's because that's where everything that ever was and everything that ever will be started in that room. It started with God. His throne room is a place of continuing worship. There's angels worshiping. There are 24 elders with thrones who just fall down from their thrones and lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus, and they're worshiping. Worship is the activity at the center of heaven. When we worship God, in a very real sense, we are moving into the throne room of God. The prayers of God's people, our prayers are presented as an offering in God's throne room in this chapter. This week, we're still in the throne room of God, uh, where the Revelation story really starts. And, and, and this, again, is another one of those most beautiful chapters in the Bible. You know, this chapter that we looked at last week and this one this week, they offer us a picture of what pure worship looks like, of what it looks like to be in the presence of God and that awe that is experienced we are in chapter 5 today, and uh, I would encourage you to uh, open your Bible there, and you're going to find it a whole lot easier to understand it if you have it open in front of you. And I also encourage you to read ahead. So, you know, we're in chapter 5 this week. Guess where we're going to be next week? 
chapter 6. So I encourage you to read chapter 6 before we come back next week, just as a way of uh, getting ahead and getting a taste. And you know, the more you read it, I'm finding, and I read through Revelation, I can't count the number of times as I've gotten ready for this, and then each week I read through each chapter over and over again. And, and the more I read them, the more they make sense, and uh, the more I understand them. So I encourage you to do the same thing. So because John says in chapter 1 that we're blessed when we read the words of this prophecy out loud, we're going to do that. During this series, uh, we'll read as much of the book as we can out loud. Um, and the last couple of weeks, I've been doing it. Today, I'm going to do it again. But I am encouraging you, if you have gifts in those areas, to, uh, to volunteer, to be one of our readers as we go through the book of Revelation. So let's begin with Revelation chapter 5. It starts, And then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him, who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down, and they worshiped. I have here in my hand an envelope. You get a lot of mail at your house. Probably get a lot of junk mail at your house. How can you tell the difference between the junk mail and what's important? 
Sometimes I get a letter from that, that I know is important by just by the way it looks. It, it might have a fancy envelope. It might be the person who uh, is the one who is the sender. It might be the way it's addressed. This one is addressed to the worthy people who live at this address. Okay. I see who it's addressed to, but am I allowed to open this? I mean... It says, to the worthy people who live at this address. Not just the people who live at the address. Am I qualified to open this letter? Am I worthy enough to open this letter? See, that's the important question in this chapter. Who is worthy? You know, I could take this letter and we could pass it around. I could hand it to Bonnie and she might go... Oh, I'm not worthy. It's not me. And so she might pass it on to somebody else, and we could pass it around in a circle and never get that thing open. But the question in heaven here is who is worthy? John is experiencing this incredible worship scene in heaven. Uh, I mean, he's in the center of heaven. And he's been trying to describe the undescribable. He's looking at the throne of God, and he's having this overwhelming experience. And, and in the middle of this, he notices that in the right hand of the person sitting on the throne is a scroll. It's a scroll. It's not a book. You know, books like we use them, they didn't really come into popularity until somewhere around the middle of the second century. And so, so people wrote on scrolls, and, and they would start with, it came in pieces. They were about 10 inches by 8 inches, almost, eight, almost like the 8, 8.5 by 11.5, you know, almost like a standard sheet of paper that we use today. And they would write on them in these narrow 3-inch columns, and they would go down, and they would fill the page, and then they would stick that page to another page. And they begin to roll it at this end as they continue to write. And so the more they had to write, the bigger the scroll they had. Well, 2nd and 3rd John, if you want to think about it, you know, how big were these scrolls? 2nd and 3rd John, Jude and Philemon, written in columns like that, they would only take about one page each. So they don't take very much of a scroll. But if you take the book of Romans... That scroll would be about 11 and a half feet long because there's a lot of content. And if you really had a lot of content, like in the book of Revelation, you write on both sides. And that's what it says. This scroll was written on both sides. This is a big scroll that God is holding, and it's an important one. You know, when a, a scroll was sent out, they put a seal on it. And they did that so nobody could read it if they weren't supposed to see it. Uh, usually it was put on, there would be, you know, you drip the wax on and you would have a signet ring often or a stamp on your desk and you would push that into the hot wax and it would form a seal that it would be pretty obvious if somebody broke into that or read that before it got to where it was supposed to be going. And a lot of scrolls, they had more than one seal. That could mean that more than one person sent it. Or it could say that it's, a very, very important letter. William Barclay says there was one document that had seven seals under Roman law. It was a will. And under that Roman law, 
it had to have seven witnesses. And each witness put their own seal on that scroll as it was sent. So as we're looking at this scroll in God's hand and we're speculating as to what's inside of it, because we don't know yet at this point, we understand as we go a little further that this is God's revelation of what's coming. It's his plan for the rest of history. It's what he wants to share with his people. But right now, it hasn't been unsealed. And, and, and it can't be just unsealed by anybody. It has to be someone special. It's sealed up tight for great secrecy. So nobody can read it ahead of time except the one who is worthy. Back to that letter I got. John writes, And then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. You couldn't take a peek. No way to see what was coming. Who is worthy? Who is good enough? Well, nobody in heaven. Not even the fiercest guardian angels who are so close to God. Not even them. They weren't allowed to open that scroll. And no one on earth, not even the most perfect person alive, is worthy. You know, when we think about our sin, it, it says in Romans 3.10 that there is no one righteous, not even one. Not one. And later in Romans 3, it says that well, all, every single person on the planet, past, present, and future, all have fallen short of the glory of God because of our sin. All of us. There is no one worthy. And, and he even says those under the ground. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about those who have died and gone on before us. You know? They believed in a place called Sheol. Sheol is the abode of the dead, the place where we wait to see God when we're raised from the dead and where we face our own judgment with God. And it had two parts, and Hades was one part, the dark part. And no one under the ground, no one who had died and gone ahead was worthy to open that scroll. You know, God has a plan to redeem us. And he had that plan all the way back in Genesis 3 when Adam fell, and probably even before. And that redemption that he had planned for us, it lies at the end of a path. And that scroll is God's word, and it tells us how that path will end and what we're going to see along that journey. The final end of things begins when that scroll is opened but there's nobody worthy to open the scroll and reveal what it says. And so John weeps, and he weeps. And I think John is, is not just crying for himself. I think he's crying for all of us. We're all waiting. The end of our journey is not complete until that scroll opens. It doesn't even start that part. And he's weeping for us, saved but waiting for final Redemption. But one of the elders leans over to him and says, Stop crying. 
Do not weep. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Well, these words, they're familiar to any Jew. They understand who this is talking about. This is a a promise of hundreds of years of prophets in the Old Testament. You know, and it starts from the very time when, you know, when you remember when Jacob, Jacob gathered his children around and began to bless them. And when he got to Judah, he called him the lion cub, the small lion, and then gave a prophecy about what was coming in the future. Well, later, David came from that line of Judah. Messiah was prophesied to come from the line of David. Isaiah 9-7 says that the Messiah will reign on David's throne. Well, here, what does it say? The lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. This is the fulfillment of all those prophecies that told us who was coming, that this one, this one was the Messiah. John hears what the elder has to say to him. It's interesting because he doesn't see the lion. He hears about the lion. He gets told about the lion. And he turns to look to find the lion, and the lion's not there. There's a lamb. That lamb's pretty beat up. It says that that lamb looks like it has been led to the slaughter. It looks as if it has been slain. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Don't get hung up on the sevens. (laughs) Sevens are everywhere. Hundreds of times the number seven appears. Seven is closest to the number of God, closest to the number of perfection, and you will see that it will be repeated over and over again. In this case, this is, we're talking something symbolic here, these seven horns and these seven eyes. Just like the seven lampstands, it it represents God's Holy Spirit. Now, there's a passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah that, that talks about the seven ways in which the Spirit reveals himself. And so a lot of people feel like it refers back to that and it refers to things like knowledge and wisdom and the greatness of God. You know, so there's a whole list of those things. But no matter what, it's talking about God's Holy Spirit. And you have a representation in the throne room of God. You have the Father on the throne. You have the Lamb who is the Son and you have the Holy Spirit present, the Trinity of God present in heaven. And what's important here is that the only one who is worthy to reveal God's will is the lamb. This battered up looking creature is the one who won the victory. And he can do it. He can open the scroll. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now this is the pivotal moment. This is the ultimate moment. They've been crying. They've been waiting for this moment. They've been waiting for the person who is worthy to do it. Only one is worthy, and he's right there. It's the Lamb of God. And he takes the scroll, and as he takes the scroll that reveals God's will, something happens. 
You know, when, when we think of victory, we think of the strong. We think of somebody in armor, you know, somebody with a, maybe riding a great war horse and, and, uh, and swinging a sword. I, I got an opportunity when I was younger to ride a war horse and, and a big old Morgan. And this thing was just, man, it was gorgeous. And it had power. And you'd, you'd go up the side of the mountain and it would just, you know, it was like, ain't nothing standing in the way of that. That's what I think of when we think of power, you know? It's one of these big draft horses or one of the big war horses. And it's an amazing thing. We get this image of the lion as you think of the lion. Here's again this powerful creature that rules its pride, that kills its game, that, that, that leads. And Jesus is told of or talked of as the Lion of Judah. But, but what we see here is a symbol of weakness. We see a slaughtered lamb, a defeated lamb, it would appear. You know, it's not living. Probably had its throat cut and blood drained in preparation for the sacrifice. That's not a strong image. But now think back. Think back to when John the Baptist first saw Jesus coming up on him in the river. He was in the river doing baptism, and Jesus is coming. And John looks up, and he says what? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb isn't weak. Strong in a different way. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to Rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Well, that being done, Satan had thought he had defeated Jesus. He got him on the cross, he got him killed. But three days later, three days later, it became pretty obvious that Satan was the one who was beaten along with the laws of sin and death. And only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus was worthy enough to make the sacrifice. And only Jesus can take this scroll and reveal this next part of history. And so we're excited because the end is going to lead us to a new beginning. And Jesus is leading the way. Those who have believed in Jesus, they're the redeemed. They're the ones who belong to God. This taking of the scroll is such a key moment in this place that, you know, they're already worshiping God, but then it accelerates to a whole new level. It just builds up, and it breaks out in even more worship, and everybody in the throne room falls down before the lamb, and, and we know that lamb's Jesus. And they all begin to worship that's what we do when we worship, isn't it? We often sing. They often sing. You know, there's five hymns in these two chapters. Five. And they're worth reading and meditating on because they have this, this deep worship of God that is from the heart. They're great poetry. They're great music. But they're from the heart. They're the song of the heart. And... and 
I don't know if you've ever had a deep longing when you come into the presence of God. Sometimes, you know, when we start to worship, I just get this real longing for, for just this God in me and me in him. And, you know, I, I just get this longing for something much more beyond what we're doing on the surface sometimes. And that's what's happening here. This is worship at, at the ultimate deep level. So in heaven, the creatures sang and the elders sang, and it says they fell down in worship. And the elders held golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God. Our prayers, your prayers and mine, are laid down before God in golden bowls as an offering to God. Other places it says that incense rises up and it's pleasing to God. You ever felt like your prayers weren't heard? You know, sometimes you're praying, it just feels like they're bouncing off the ceiling. It doesn't feel like they're going anywhere, like they're getting anywhere. Well, they were heard all right. And they were a sweet incense in the worship of God in heaven. They were heard and kept and treasured in golden bowls. Literally? Maybe not. But John sees them that way in his beautiful vision. Golden bowls meant that the prayers of God's people were highly valued. Not one of your prayers has ever been missed. Not one. Every one has been collected. Imagine that. All those prayers you thought God never heard. They're right there in those bowls. They're right there at the feet of God being offered in worship. And so with harps in one hand, it says, I guess that's where we get the idea of angels with harps in heaven, but it's the elders who have the harps here, and, and they have golden bowls in the other hand, and they fall down in the worship of God, and they sing. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take this scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Think about that. Every tribe and language and people and nation as we talk about missions or as we talk about global work, uh, we think about those nations that have not yet heard the word of God. And I forget, I read recently that, you know, at the present rate that we're going, it might take 300 years to finish this job unless we decide to do it a little differently, unless we decide to, to really bond together and reach the unreached. And it says here that every nation, every language is included. Every single one. You know, there is no racism in heaven. It doesn't exist. There's no separation of the races. There is no supremacy except God's supremacy. There is no privilege. Nobody gets left out. Nobody. There's no pecking order. Every person who accepts the Lamb of God, who receives Jesus, because of the purchased price, 
paid by his blood on the cross, they're all received. And, and note what it says, because this is going to become very important later on as we get towards the last part of the book. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign, notice where they're reigning, on the earth. Well, doesn't this all get blowed up? Doesn't the earth get blowed up real good? <laughs> doesn't it all get destroyed? So, so where are we reigning on earth? Well, it's a, a foreshadowing of the new heaven and the new earth. And that destruction is a remaking and a cleansing. Well, the worship keeps building, doesn't it? And it builds to a crescendo. And then I look and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands and thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And they're not done yet. So we started with a small group. And then that group has gotten bigger. And now that group has gotten bigger and it gets bigger yet. It says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Because in heaven, that's what elders do. <laughs> I want you to remember this. this is, I think this is so important. God does nothing without a reason. And so we have this, this large, dramatic, frightening, sometimes destructive vision that is opening up here. This, as the seals are open, we're going to start looking at those open seals next week. But... but there's this huge thing coming, and it feels like something to be very afraid of. But I want you to think of this. All that is preceded by two of the most beautiful chapters in the whole Bible that show us this worship in the throne room of God, Revelation 4 and 5. And they remind us of God's presence, for one, that God is there. And they remind us that our prayers are heard. And as we go into these difficult times, whether we walk through them or God takes us home before that, God hears our prayers and he is always present with you no matter what it is that you're going through. And that's the great reminder here today. His heart hears your heart. So do not fear. I want to leave you with a couple of things this morning, things that are key if you're going to make it through, if you're going to follow on. The first one is receive the lamb. Receive the lamb. Without a redeemer, as John saw in heaven, we weep because we're lost, because there's no way for our story to be complete. Without the Redeemer, there is no forgiveness of sin. There's no returning to the way that God created us. In the beginning, he created us to be perfect and sinless. 
But after the fall, that wasn't possible, and it began to corrupt the entire earth. And over time, it got worse, and today we're living in a difficult time. But I want you to remember, as we go on, there are parts that tell us that, that before the return of Christ or around the return of Christ or even during the time of tribulation, there is a great number of people who are saved. You know, we keep thinking, you know, we live in the worst of times. But think of it like this. There's an Australian guy I listen to, and, and I really like the way he puts it. He says, he says, think of it that right now the tide is out. And I don't know if you've ever been on a beach when the tide's out, but you know, I've walked along in bare feet, and you kind of watch the shells sticking out of the sand, and you can't see what's under there, and, and, uh, and it could be uncomfortable. And in, in between, there's sometimes that silt that settles in the bottom. I remember getting trapped out on a sandbar in England when, when the tide was coming back, and, in, and we kept, my brother and my sister and I kept running to the next place and the next place until we finally got to shore. And, and sometimes we had to run through this terrible muck in order to get our way to shore. That's kind of what we've been going through, is that kind of stuff. But what happens when the tide comes in? Revival is not only coming, revival is here. God is already doing his work. And all over the world, churches are, re are reporting that God is moving with them and in their midst, and people's hearts are being changed, and people are coming to Jesus, and people's lives in Jesus are being enriched. And this is the time. This is the time. Without Jesus as your Savior and your Redeemer, you're not coming for the ride. I'm sorry. I don't say that lightly. But you will not survive this. The Lamb was sacrificed in our place for our sins so that we could be declared worthy. Now, we are not worthy. We know we're not worthy. Only Jesus is worthy. But Jesus takes on our sin and our sin is forgiven and he says, when you come to me, I declare you to be worthy. You are justified. It's as if you never sinned. You know, I, I know that a lot of people feel unworthy in life. But in Jesus, we find our worth. Nobody knows when he's going to return. Now is the best time to start a relationship with Jesus. Right now. The second thing I want you to remember is worship the Lamb. Receive the Lamb and worship the Lamb. God has a plan for the universe for the rest of history, and you became part of that plan when you received Jesus as Lord and Savior. When you believe in him and you take him as your Savior, worship is the natural response. It's the natural response to who God is and what God has done. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's worthy of your worship. Now, like last week, I want to leave you with a bit of focus, a little to focus on as you come into the presence of God, I would encourage you to do the same thing we talked about last week when we talked about coming into God's presence, is to leave things, leave the asking behind, and come into God's presence and just worship him. In this case, I want you to think about focusing on Jesus throughout, 
So start with Jesus as creator, just as we worshiped God as creator. And then focus on the Savior, Jesus. And recognize that Jesus is God's son. And offer yourself, just as Justin prayed this morning, offer yourself as a gift, as a sacrifice to God. Give your whole self away. And then the last is a suggestion. There are these five hymns in these two chapters. Take them home, read them aloud, and let God speak to you. And listen for his voice, because he wants to talk to you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to have deep fellowship with you. And meditating on his word is a good way to enter into that fellowship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your Son, the worthy Lamb of God. Thank you for the sacrifice that revealed Jesus as the one worthy of revealing your plan for the future and for our future and for the rest of history. Lord, we submit ourselves to you now as living sacrifices, our whole lives given over to you for your use and for your glory. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.